welcome back to Anesthesiology News Presents The Etherist. And welcome to Season 2 of the show. We really appreciate the positive response to our first season, and we have been working diligently to create another deep dive on a new and interesting topic for you. And since our first season, which was focused on drug shortages, was so well received, we thought we would stick to what we know best and find another shortage to highlight. So without any more delay, I'm happy to introduce Season 2, The Looming Physician Anesthesiologist Shortage. Well, that is part of the story anyway. For Season 2, we looked into a recent report from the AAMC, that's the Association of American Medical Colleges, on their projections of a healthcare-wide physician shortage expected within the next 13 years. The AAMC report projects that the U.S. will have a potential shortage of 139,000 physicians, and anesthesiology will be among the key specialties to suffer from the lack of physician supply. They project that anesthesiology, along with a few other specialties like pathology and emergency medicine, could see a shortfall anywhere from 17 to 42,000 physicians by 2033. Now that is the high end of the estimate, and it applies to a number of different specialties. So the question we had, and the reason we chose this topic for Season 2 of The Ethers, is that the report doesn't explain how bad it could get for anesthesia professionals, or how we will get to that point in the first place. So we have dedicated this season to answering those questions. Will anesthesiology actually experience a physician shortage? And what will that look like if it happens? Now I want to take a second to acknowledge some of the struggles of the past few months. At Anesthesiology News, we have been doing our best to keep up with the ever-changing information around managing patients with COVID-19. And we know you have probably been caught right in the center of this pandemic in the past six months. First of all, we want to say thank you for the hard work and resilience you have shown in the face of such an extraordinary crisis. As you might imagine, the pandemic has also forced us to make some significant changes to our reporting for this season. We have been working from home since the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak in New York City, where our offices are located. We made sure to observe all appropriate public health precautions during the making of this season, so all of our interviews were held over online calls. We did our best to find the right people to help us explain the story, though, and we hope the sound quality of those interviews matches the incredible insights that came from them. Despite the challenges presented, we were able to pull together something that we are excited to share with all of you in the anesthesia community. So thank you for joining us again. And I am proud to finally say, this is Anesthesiology News Presents The Etherist, Season 2, Episode 1, Physician Demand and Supply. More on that after the break. At Massimo, improving patient outcomes is top priority. In response to blood shortages due to COVID-19, Massimo is offering licenses for rainbow non-invasive blood constituent monitoring, including total hemoglobin, SPHB, for rainbow-ready devices at no additional cost. SPHB provides real-time visibility to changes or lack of changes in hemoglobin between invasive blood draws, and has been shown in multiple studies to help clinicians improve outcomes. Discover continuous hemoglobin concentration monitoring. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. Throughout the COVID-19 crisis, Envision Healthcare has stayed the course in supporting its clinicians and healthcare partners, and together, they are answering the call as America's leading national medical group. Envision has helped mobilize and redeploy more than 500 caregivers, including anesthesiology providers, to hotspots around the country, including New Jersey, New York, Texas, and Florida. 
Leveraging more than 60 years of experience, Envision continues to be a vital player in healthcare for today and tomorrow. Learn more about Envision Healthcare by visiting www.envisionhealth.net. Okay. All right. So we're ready to go. Um, I think everything sounds good on my end. Does everything sound good to you? Yeah. Testing, testing. I'm hearing you well. Okay. So let's get started. I'm Michael DePoe Wilson, and I'm here with James Pruden, the editorial director for Anesthesiology News. Uh, Back in 2019, uh, a little over a year ago now, we kind of came across this story about there being a report that there was going to be a shortage of qualified physicians generally in about 10 to 13 years. Why was that something that we decided we needed to cover specifically for anesthesiologists? When we had our 2019 advisory board meeting, that was was a, a significant area of conversation. It was something that was definitely on their radar. It seemed to be unanimously uh, agreed to at that meeting that this was a problem. And it was a problem that was only going to get worse. And so we um, did a story for our anesthesiology publication around that time that looked at some of the AMC uh, views of sh- physician shortages, and um, they were setting in a, a rather alarming numbers, pointing out future physician shortages of high numbers, and, and the, the people on our board were already seeing it. And I, I remember that conversation, and kind of the interesting thing is that we covered this, and that article came out in our August issue of 2019, and then a year later, the AAMC produced another report updating it a year. And and that was similarly a little alarming. Well, the story is really a snowball type of thing. First of all, you know, physicians are are, are getting older. The baby boom people are are bowing out. They've had enough. They're retiring. It's just making the situation worse. Did you feel like you got the answers you were expecting to hear from people that you interviewed? No, not really. There was um, a diversity of opinion. So, you know, you could even ask um, some physicians if, if, if they thought that there was an anesthesiologist shortage and a few of them said no. Um, most uh, did not say that, but the, the, there are differences of opinions on shortages. The flip side of it is supply and demand. If there's a shortage, um, job seekers in this market are doing very well because they're getting a lot of job offers and it's a bit of an onion thing. You start peeling it away and, and uh, there's more layers to, to come. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we saw a lot of the time as we were as we were talking to people leading up to this time. And, uh, you know, I think it turned out to be a much more interesting, a much more dynamic story um, than I expected it to be, certainly. I mean, we uh, started out just kind of looking at statistics and we thought it would be kind of cut and dry. Um, and as you said, it wasn't quite like that. Well, to, to get back to the whole supply and demand thing, you know, if you are an anesthesiologist listening to this, be happy that um, your job is in high demand. So um, let's uh, let's jump in. Jump into the onion. This is a big onion. Time to peel the onion, I would say. Ready, set, peel. The question we wanted to answer first was whether or not anesthesiologists thought those AAMC projections were accurate and just how bad the shortage would be if they were true. So we set out to ask some of the top experts and leaders in anesthesiology to weigh in on the matter. And the answers we got from them had just one thing in common. None of them were the same. 
We heard that the need for new recruits is never ending. And so we're constantly looking for uh, replacements. We heard that there is a constant shortage of qualified applicants leaving jobs unfilled. There are um, a lot of practices all across the country looking for anesthesia professionals. We're having some difficulty recruiting and difficulty retaining them. We heard no. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. We heard maybe. I think it depends where. But one thing we heard from everyone, the thing that proved to be the exception to this rule of no answers being the same, was that whatever problems existed, it was always about location. Before COVID, I guess, we certainly saw regional shortages of anesthesiologists, really all anesthesia providers, CRNAs, um, anesthesiologist assistants as well, on a regional basis. So, it, it, you know, I can't say that it was widespread across the whole U.S. But even that idea contained tons of nuance and debate. We set out to ask one simple question about a projected shortfall of providers, but what we found in the process was much bigger than that and much more compelling. What we found was a specialty seeming to hang in the balance as forces from every direction seemed destined to mold the specialty into something very different from what we currently have today. The answers we got to our questions were at the same time far less gloomy than we had expected and far, far more complex than we originally appreciated. This is not a story about a simple statistical projection. No, it is a story about the future of a specialty. And we'll get to more about that after a quick break. Envision Healthcare is a leading national medical group of more than 27,000 clinicians that treat more than 35 million patients each year, and their strong presence in anesthesiology empowers clinical departments across the country to deliver high-quality care, In response to COVID-19, Envision continues to look to their anesthesiologists, CRNAs, and CAAs as critical members of their care team and mission to maintain America's healthcare safety net. To learn more about Envision Healthcare, connect with them at ASA 20 Virtual Scientific Assembly on October 2nd through the 5th, or visit www.envisionhealth.net. Now more than ever, your patient's safety is top priority at Massimo. While inhaled nitric oxide therapy is currently being investigated as a potential treatment for lung complications associated with COVID-19, excessive use may lead to methemoglobinemia. SPMET is a breakthrough measurement that allows clinicians to non-invasively and continuously monitor methemoglobin levels in the blood. Discover how SPMET can help you track methemoglobin saturation during ventilation. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. The future of the specialty is a big topic, so let's take a step back for a minute. The truth is that asking a simple question about what might happen to a specialty in 10 years is bound to lead to many, many different answers and topics. And this story will certainly go down all of the most important and salient of those. We'll discuss everything from technological advances to changing practice models to evolving business trends and why medical education is both the answer and the problem to creating growth for the profession, as well as how diversity shapes the specialty. We'll hear about laws that could dramatically reshape the provider-patient relationship, and we'll even hear how another medical profession is already managing the burden of dealing with staffing shortages. But before we get to all of that, I think we should start at the beginning. We set out to ask one simple question, and it led us to everything I just listed and more. 
So let us first take a little time to retrace those initial steps. The very first thing I wanted to ask you is just, is it actually true? Are we really heading into a shortage of anesthesiologists in the near future? We certainly understand a lot of what our supply is. The, the challenge is, is understanding the demand side of that supply-demand equation. This is Dr. Mary Dale Peterson. She's a pediatric anesthesiologist and the current president of the American Society of Anesthesiologists, as well as the chief operating officer at Driscoll Health Systems in Corpus Christi, Texas. We know we have some regional shortages, although there's a pause on that right now with COVID. So if I, I take that out of consideration, before COVID, I guess, we certainly saw regional shortages of um, anesthesiologists, really all anesthesia providers, CRNAs, um, anesthesiologist assistants as well, on a regional basis. So, it, it you know, I can't say that it was widespread across the whole U.S. And what was interesting is I think, you know, on an anecdotal basis, um, those places that people still covet going to, either from a location standpoint or let's say a particular institution standpoint um, that has a great reputation or a great culture, they don't seem to have difficulty attracting good people and, and keeping their workforce intact. And so I think it raises the bar for everybody in, in the competition for um, good clinicians. I think that came to bear at our last practice management meeting, uh, the chair of, of MD Anderson's uh, anesthesia department, I think shocked everyone when he said they had over 300 qualified applicants for one or two positions. So that's an interesting counter to the idea that there's a shortage that you would have so many more applicants for just two positions. I imagine that's not the case everywhere, though. I would say that's exactly right. Now, that's not to say that in the future we might have more widespread shortages of anesthesiologists. I can say that on the supply side, though, we probably had our best match ever in the history. Over 1,800 uh, medical students matched to anesthesia. I think we had like maybe four unfilled positions. I've never seen anything like that. A highly qualified, I think, from the department chairs, and program directors I visit with, they're very pleased with the quality of the applicants. And, you know, the, the sad part is, is there's many more that wanted to get into anesthesiology and couldn't. So we've got, uh, I think, a lot of young people that are interested in the specialty. And so we just have to get enough slots, I think, out there for them. That just about covers the regional variations in hiring and employment in anesthesiology. And as Dr. Peterson said, it isn't just about the state or city. Oftentimes it comes down to the institution. She mentioned the incredible draw that MD Anderson has on potential hires. And there are many big-name health systems that might also come to mind in that way. But as I mentioned before, that wasn't the end of the story. And we kept asking and kept getting different answers. Are we really heading toward a shortage of anesthesiologists in the near future? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. This is Dr. Karen Seibert, an associate professor of anesthesiology at UCLA Health, where she is also the director of communications. She is the past president of the California Society of Anesthesiologists, and she is the author of the blog, A Pinned Point. 
Her work on trends in anesthesiology has been published on Kevin MD in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. I think that uh, you have to be careful what you read because there, there is evidence out there. I know the American Association of Medical Colleges feels that there is going to be quite a shortage of physicians over the next 10 to 20 years. But a lot of the shortages are really going to be either in primary care or in surgical specialties, particularly I think vascular surgery is one of the, one of the ones projected to have the most shortage. So there has been a lot of talk about how the population is aging, that people are doing diagnostic and operative procedures on patients who are older than ever. The non-invasive um, heart valve replacements are a perfect example, the TAVRs. And that we're operating on people we wouldn't have operated on before. We're doing more surgeries. The volume is growing, et cetera. And assuming that this means there's going to be more of a demand for anesthesiologists, which I think may be mistaken. And uh, because I think a lot of that press is conflating anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists. There may be more need for people to give anesthesia, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a shortage of anesthesiologists. And that brings up another intriguing angle. We were asking about physician shortages, but it is well documented that there are lots of places that rely heavily on CRNAs to provide anesthesia care too. And the AMC report only mentions that dynamic in passing. Basically, they say that CRNAs could fill in the gaps of a physician shortage in the future. And Randy Moore, the chief executive officer of the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists, the AANA, thinks that is exactly what will happen. Pre-COVID-19, what we were seeing is there is a supply-demand imbalance of anesthesia professionals in this country. Uh, somewhere around, we think, about 10%, uh, meaning that uh, there are um, a lot of practices all across the country looking for anesthesia professionals. We're having some difficulty recruiting and difficulty retaining them. And uh, that has to do with the age demographics of the specialty. If you look at the CRNAs in particular, uh, the average age of a CRNA is something around 50 years. Uh, and we are seeing um, an increased consumption in healthcare as well. So not only is uh, a baseline and insufficient supply of providers, there's also a, a increased consumption and a projected high increase in consumption of healthcare, which kind of prints this perfect storm of uh, inadequate supply with growing demand. So you're saying 10% of the jobs that are available are not being filled? Yeah, in aggregate across the country. As you know, there's pockets where that, that number could be uh, much higher, and there's pockets where in the country for a variety of different reasons, that number would be lower. But even in the most attractive areas of this country, you think of the metropolitan areas where you know providers tend to, to move into because of the attractiveness of the city and everything that has to offer, we are still seeing fairly high levels of vacancy in, in those positions. So it's, I don't think any practice uh, in the country or any area of the country is immune to this problem. Do you think that that 10% kind of lag of, of being able to fill those positions, could could all of that be filled by CRNAs? Would most of that be filled by CRNAs? What's the general sense about that? Well, I think what could and should, and in many cases is happening, is practice modernization, what we've been talking about, moving away from restrictive anesthesia care teams, one to three, one to four, to more collaborative models is would 
significantly put a dent into that number. It, it would significantly decrease that number below 10%. Again, and you're probably already tired of hearing me say this, that was just one of the many variety of answers we heard. It could be that any shortage coming over the next 13 years or so is completely absorbed by CRNAs and AAs. The need for more anesthesia care does not automatically mean there will be a need for more physician anesthesiologists. In that sense, physician anesthesiologists are off the hook in terms of addressing this potential crisis. That's a big if, though. Now, another major school of thought here is that the AAMC's projections will be driven by the baby boomer generation as its members age and start to use healthcare services at an unprecedented rate. But that is not the whole story either. Here's James Pruden with Dr. Alan David Kay, a professor of anesthesiology at Louisiana State University Health Science Center in Shreveport, Louisiana, and the provost, chief academic officer, and vice chancellor of academic affairs at the LSU School of Medicine. We want to get a 30,000 uh, foot view of the situation. And in your own mind, do you think that there is a upcoming shortage of anesthesiologists or is it just a difficulty in hiring? What's the status in your mind? Well, I, I think, James, it's a great question. Um, I remember uh, when I was a resident uh, 30 years ago, uh, there were very uh, similar sentiments. So we were all very concerned I think now looking at it with 30 years of experience in the field, the field is different than most fields in medicine. It requires a lot of physical vigor. It also, um, quite frankly, pays well. And that leads to it being a, a young person's job. So it's, it's not unusual for people to retire in their 50s. It's rare for them to be working uh, beyond uh, certainly when they hit 60. Uh, and so we're constantly looking for uh, replacements. And in my department uh, over the years, it was rare to have anyone over 55 years of age, to give you an idea. Um, but I, I think that I would tell everyone that we're always reshuffling the deck. We're always growing in most venues. Uh, where we work. And so we're always looking to add uh, young anesthesiologists to our practices. In our practice, we interviewed all last week looking for additional anesthesiologists uh, in our group. That brings us back to the idea of regional shortages driving this issue. It is possible that the turnover that Dr. K sees is related to his institution's pedigree or simply the location. To better understand the role that location can play for new anesthesiologists looking for a job in the future, James spoke with Dr. Zeev Kane. He's the Chancellor's Professor of Anesthesiology, Medicine, and Orthopedics at the University of California, Irvine, and the Director of both the Center of Stress and Health and the Center for System Redesign there. He is also the President of the American College of Perioperative Medicine. So let's start with some of the questions. What about a shortage of anesthesiologists? Do you feel like that's happening, and do you experience that in your own, you know, acquisition of new people coming into uh, medical academia? Is it hard to, to to get anesthesiologists? What's the status of that where you are? Well, I think I think your last comment of where you are is the key here. I think it depends where. California, not an issue. 
I think there's always been this attraction to the, you know, to the Gold Coast. And so we have uh, more supply than, than demand for sure. Uh, I know that on the East Coast uh, and on the South, it's much more of an issue. But I think when you talk about shortage, you have to define yourself where exactly geography and settings, and then you can get into whether or not there is currently a shopping or not. Well, there's definitely regional variations, which of course, you know, it, it involves both coasts, but, um, you know, obviously it's just going to be harder to attract somebody, uh, you know, a newly minted physician to go to Kansas. Uh, one of the ways they do try to attract them is they pay pretty well. You know, the Northeast, when you took regionally, Northeast has actually paid the lowest. Um, I think South, South, um, Southeast and um, Northwest are the two bigger ones. I think California has got to be in a large, um, uh, you know, uh, compensation as well. Um, but there are regional variations. And so um, I, I how, are there any solutions that you can think of to to deal with that other than, you know, supply and demand and pay better type of thing? Well, I think your questions and assumption uh, assume that nothing will change with the technology and nothing will change with the way we practice, right? So yes, I agree with you that unless there is more technology involved and unless we change the way we practice, there is going to be a huge shortage. That said, look what happened just now with telehealth and telemedicine, right? A gigantic disruption. Look what's going on right now with moving of cases from inpatient to outpatients. Gigantic, right? So all I'm trying to say is there are a lot of forces in play right now. So for us to project eight to 12 years out and say, hey, in eight to 12 years, there'll be shortage. I'm going to say, okay, and that's assumed that nothing is going to change with the technology, that closed loop feedback, for example, um, machines will not come into handy, that CRNAs will not get more prevalent, that ANAs will not get prevalent, and so on. So let's just be, let's just be careful with that. Well, that's a very good point. Um, uh, that's an excellent point. So there we were, wondering what to make of the variety of topics that came out of what we assumed was a simple question. It was around this time that we knew that the real story behind these statistics, a shortage of potentially thousands of physician anesthesiologists by 2033, was that the specialty of anesthesiology was already undergoing a unique transformational period. And that gave us a new question. What's going on? It became clear in speaking with the leaders of major anesthesia societies, large anesthesia departments, as well as thought leaders in the specialty that the concerns for the future of anesthesiology focused not on a physician shortage, but the uncertainties and possibilities of what being an anesthesiologist would mean in the future. In other words, it was a much more interesting story. And this is where it starts to get good. Here's Dr. Peterson again. But I wanted to look to the future as much as we possibly can. I understand that we're in the middle of a, of a crisis still. Um, and it's very hard to project out from this, even a few months, let alone years. Um, but, you know, do you see in 10 years time, this is sort of this projection of 10, 15 years from now, we'll have too much demand for the, the supply of, of qualified anesthesiologists to meet that demand. 
do you see major changes in the way anesthesiologists are hired or the types of responsibilities that anesthesiologists are given in their roles in 10 years time? Eventually supply and demand does adjust. There's hiccups all along the way, right? Uh, we saw that in the 90s when we had no anesthesiologists because of a Wall Street Journal article that came out that said there was going to be too many. And uh, then the bottom fell out and we still see that now in, in that cohort. Um, so I, I think eventually it sorts itself out. It's just that we've got a long pipeline for anesthesiologists. Um, so, but for now, at least, I'm very hopeful that um, with the great talent that's coming into anesthesiology, with people looking at creative solutions to f find more training uh, slots to be opened, um, that you know we can keep up with the demand that's out there in the future. While Dr. Peterson hints that nothing is guaranteed when it comes to these projections, Mr. Moore from the ANA has a more direct answer to the question. Yeah, I do, actually. I, I, I see, I think the, the future is very bright uh, for both nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists. I think you're going to increasingly see practice models in which CRNAs and anesthesiologists are being fully utilized to their education and training and licensure. I think that is undoubtable. Uh, one of the, another thing that I'm really excited about, we haven't talked about, maybe that's a topic for a, a different podcast, is the impact of technology and how that's going to impact the specialty. I'm really excited and um, really optimistic about that because I think it's that's going to significantly uh, impact anesthesia professionals in a very favorable way. So I, I am definitely of the mind that the specialty is strong, is responding to what's happening in healthcare and is on a very sure footing. And, I, and if I were uh, talking to a high school class of students, I would say you should give very strong consideration to being a nurse anesthetist uh, or an anesthesiologist because it is extremely rewarding and it's really important work. And you really are making a difference in people's lives every day. And that theme about the collaboration between professionals within the specialty is one topic we heard a lot about. And we've already heard quite a bit about how that partnership proves to be a crucial source of tension and a potential area for opportunity, as Mr. Moore mentioned. You may remember hearing from Dr. Seibert on this topic earlier in the episode. There may be more need for people to give anesthesia, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a shortage of anesthesiologists. This thought gets straight to one of the core elements that will likely drive the most change within the specialty in the years to come. And it is about much more than a statistic or an anecdote about practice models or supervision rules. And Dr. Seibert had a lot more to say about this dynamic. Could you kind of uh, parse that a little bit? What do you mean uh, exactly? How do the CRNAs kind of play a role in that? The fact is that a lot of these procedures are done under sedation. It doesn't really require a board-certified anesthesiologist to sit and monitor patients through all those procedures. Here's the problem. The Medicare conditions of participation mandate that a physician anesthesiologist can only supervise up to four nurse anesthetists at a time. People are starting to get around that by supervising more nurse anesthetists or anesthesiologist assistants but not calling that direct supervision and using different payment models. 
which means that an anesthesiologist under those circumstances can supervise as many people as the practice deems appropriate, depending on the kind of procedures that are, that are taking place. So the unknowns in this equation are, first of all, payment for anesthesiologists has been going drifting down and down and down and down over the past 20 years or more. One, uh, one well-known department chairman put it this way, everybody is like frogs in a pot of water where the temperature is increasing slightly over time and they're not going to realize that the pot is boiling until they're right in the middle of it. And I think that is accurate. So physician pay and um, advanced nursing pay has been getting closer and closer to meeting in the middle. Your metaphor is really interesting. Could you talk about exactly what you mean by the water starting to boil? It's going to be very interesting to see what falls out as a result of COVID-19. The volume of elective surgery, as we all know, dropped dramatically. Um, one anesthesiologist I know said he ordinarily bills 1,000 units a month. In April, he billed 100. So that is a huge pay hit. Even for people in academic institutions or people who work in the corporate model, there's typically a fair amount of incentive based on volume. And that, of course, is going away. In some places, people have even been furloughed. So um, it's that some of that elective volume is going to come back. But clearly, there's a fear on the part of the public to people just aren't going to the ERs, even with heart attacks and, and stroke symptoms, let alone scheduling elective surgery, unless they you know, have a condition like some form of cancer where it's, it's really unavoidable. So we don't know how that's going to settle out over time, particularly if this coronavirus turns out to be a chronic endemic problem rather than an acute crisis. So we don't really know what that volume is going to look like. So there are a lot of unknowns in the, in the demand. The nurse anesthetist schools have been putting out more and more and more graduates, whereas there's been a block in the pipeline for medical graduates in general because there aren't enough residency positions to match the number of people who are graduating from medical school. So there are a huge number of unknowns in this model, but I'm just very pessimistic about there really being a hugely increased market for anesthesiologists or an increased need for them or a shortage. That is a much less rosy picture of the future for anesthesiologists. CRNAs could help save the specialty from this shortage, but that could cause its own problems. Still, one thing that seems clear is that neither extreme is guaranteed, and the give and take between different professions within the specialty is one element of the story that is sure to fully unfold in the coming years. I said before that the topic, based on that one question about a statistical model, unleashed a wide and complicated picture of the future for anesthesiology. And that fact convinced us to change our focus from one about numbers to a story about how the specialty will survive and hopefully strive in the next decade and beyond. It's about practice models, business mergers, medical training and education, state and federal laws, but ultimately it is about the people who are passionate about providing anesthesia care to patients. And we'll get into all of this more next week in episode two. Thank you for listening. And if you are enjoying this season of The Aetherist so far, please subscribe and consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts 
or wherever you are listening. And if you really like what you're hearing, share us with your colleagues too. We would really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Michael DePoe Wilson, and this is The Etherist. This season of The Etherist was created by Michael DePoe Wilson, your host, along with James Pruden. It was edited by Ken Christensen. The Etherist theme music was created by David Cullen and Andrew Russell. All other music in this episode was created by Blue Dot Sessions. Richard Tordo, Justin Kaback, Blake Dennis, Martin Barbieri, Kwang Yi Chung, Sophia Lee, Danielle DePoe Wilson, Betty Zong, and Kristen Janicone all contributed greatly to the making of The Etherist. And a special thanks to the sponsors of the show, Massimo and Envision Physician Services. Thanks for listening.